0: Sounds good. Schleck is just so dysfunctional. He's like a box of freaking rocks. <laughs> That's what happens. I got this awesome, like, intro, the whole thing, and then I have to spaz out like that. It's working. Johnny Coogan says right. it's working. Greg McGavro, gotcha. All right. So welcome, once again, version 3.0. I, one of these times I'm going to get this right the first time, to the old grad podcast uh, with our guest, our Steam classmate, Scott Halstead. So, Scott, you're there. You hear me? Everybody hears you, right? Yep, I think so. Oh my God! Now I'm gonna have a beer after after that sort of uh, rough <laughs> beginning. We're Eight, <laughs> 18 minutes in, and I completely screwed the thing up. <laughs> so, Scott, welcome. It's I'm honored to have you here. Uh, and um, what a what a what a great career you've had. What a great contribution to Long Gray Line, to our country, to the Army. Um, thank you for everything, and uh, so excited to have you here to, inter- to, to interview you and, and learn about your life. So, uh, welcome. Now, did you take a nap today? Because I, I remember you saying to me that you wake up really early in the morning, and this is going to be late, right? We're already starting I did.
1: Late. Yeah, so I'm usually in bed by about 8 o'clock, 8.30 at night, so uh, I did take a nap during Commandant's Hour this afternoon, and I'm ready to go.
0: That's good. That's good. How, how long was your nap for?
1: like 30 minutes, but, yeah. uh, I had both dogs on top of me and yeah, a blanket on top of us. It was like, it was good. I was, uh, that's all I needed.
0: What kind of dogs you got?
1: <laughs> I got little, uh, dachshunds. So they are four legged people that, uh, are very demonstrative, but they're both racked out next to me right now. So if they wake up, you'll definitely hear it.
0: There's no doubt that my dog is the, is the most, um, cherished and beloved member of our family of anybody, and most photographed, the most like you know, like my wife loves this dog so much. It's like it's not even. It's almost like uh, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I think we can be replaced uh, by our dogs. You know, I same thing. Th- these dogs are way up above on the family pecking order ahead of me.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So give me the lowdown. You're married? How many years? Kids? What's the story?
1: Yeah. So Jamie. Uh, I met my wife, uh, Misty Joe, at Fort Bragg. We were both lieutenants uh, in 1994, and we were coming up on 25 years of marriage, and uh, we got two great daughters. Our oldest, Natalie, is a senior at the University of Alabama. She's a nursing student, and uh, Dean's, list, Dean's list student, and uh, I visit her every football season. I go watch a game with her, and uh, I'll just say that I can no longer hang with her. She, is, uh, she knows how to have a good time. And our youngest daughter, Sydney, is a senior in high school. And I'm getting ready to take her out to look at colleges in Oregon here in about two weeks. So uh, Team Halstead's four strong
0: right now. We're doing great. So you're you're not far away from being empty nesters?
1: We're not, yeah. So we are, uh, you know, all goes well. In August, our youngest, Sydney, will be at school. And uh, Mitch and I will uh, do a little more traveling and, uh, you know, enjoy – I think we'll enjoy a life without kids in house, but our, with me, like for Thanksgiving, our, uh, our oldest, you know, she's three and a half hours away in Tuscaloosa. So she's bringing friends back here for Thanksgiving. She brings friends back for, for Labor Day. That's it. We just recently moved from West Point down to Georgia. And that's one of the best things is just having the four of us close together again.
0: Yeah. I'm excited for my kids to come home. I haven't, my son's been in Australia for like six months. And so I haven't seen him since late July. And then my daughter, wow. my daughter's local. She goes to school in New York, but, um, you know, I don't see her very often cause she's going to school. So, uh, you know, like that's, uh, it's going to be good to have them home. I'm, I'm excited about it.
1: it. It's neat for me because from about age 12 to 18, they didn't want much to do with me, but now I'm their favorite. So they tell everything to me and almost nothing to Missy. And so, uh, life is pretty good. It, it hadn't been this way for a while, but I'm enjoying being the, uh, the favorite parent forever, how long it lasts.
0: So, um, so tell me about your role there and you're, you're at Fort Benning. This is your kind of like final capstone assignment in the army.
1: It is. Yeah. So, it, uh, so I, I'm, I work for the, the infantry school. Um, I'm in a job that's really focused on how do we make, you know, our 33 lighting brigades more lethal, more effective, a lot of it has to do with uh, partnering with um, industry, partnering with uh, our acquisition corps folks. So it, it's way out of my comfort zone. I'm definitely getting professionally stretched in my last 18 or so months in the army. But it's pretty neat because I'm TDY all the time, so I get to go and see, you know, great soldiers, great leaders, and, and, and kind of reconnect with the army in a different way than when I was at West Point. So it's uh, it's a good way to finish strong, and, and I'm convinced if you stand in the you know, in the uh, in the front of the forebending PX, long enough, you'll see everybody you know, and so everybody comes through here, and so you know, every week goes goes by, I see someone that uh, that I remember, and you know, we got a couple classmates down here. My my boss, uh, I would never say this you know publicly, but my boss is Dave Hodney. He's the infantry commandant, and it's just incredible. I mean, we were good friends as cadets. He's wicked smart and doing incredible things for our army. And then Chris Willis, who was a company mate, me won. Uh, runs our simulation experiments at our maneuver battle lab and just, and I knew nothing about those sort of things, but he's doing, he's doing things for the army that are unbelievable. And so between having Dave Hodney here as my boss and Chris Willis is uh, is a teammate, life is pretty good.
0: Is Chris still active duty?
1: No, he's retired. And then uh, like a quarter mile away from where we live are Wayne and Carolyn Brewster. Wayne retired recently, you know, Wayne and I were, we're lieutenants together. We were lieutenant colonels together. We've been deployed together before. So, you know, a, a lot of people, a lot of infantry and armor officers retire in the Fort Pitt and Columbus area. And it's for those of you that went through here in '91, '92, it's a great place now. It was awful back then, but uh, you know, we bought a house here, and this is home. We love it.
0: So, are you living like in Columbus? We are. Yeah, we uh, we
1: live in sort of the historic district and. uh, you know, we got a pool, which was never a big deal to me, but all three of my girls said we have to have a pool, and uh, it's a game-changer because it's, it's like the sun here in the summertime. So. And it brings the kids home. So our oldest, Natalie, brings her, her roommates, the three sisters, back here, and you know they you know, they just take over the house, and they hang out by the pool and have a good time. So that was sort of my wife's missy's criteria. We got to get a house where the kids will come back and visit us, and I think we did that.
0: So I saw there's a couple of pictures of you on Facebook. You have a lot of the class of 19 coming through at uh, Bolick and and Ranger School now. So these are are cadets that you mentored, cadets that you were, when you were heading up the Simon Center, that you were a a big part of their um, formative experience at West Point. They are now there with you. So are you able to kind of reconnect with all these young second lieutenants?
1: Uh, I am in in ways. So – you know, they, they sent a lot of uh, lieutenants to ranger school before IOBC now. I go out to all their pre-ranger classes and talk to them. And then, uh, you know, I've had a chance to see some of them during the ranger course. So I, that's, I just love doing that. So they and, go to uh, –
0: hold on a second. I, so they're going to ranger school before OBC? About – yeah, about uh, three of them. So is there like a RIP program or indoctrination program or something to get them ready? Or are they just going in there cold?
1: No, no, they, at West Point, they, you know, they get a bunch of, it's mostly physical evaluations. And, and these are all, I mean, these are great, great cadets, great officers. They're crushing Ranger School right now. So by and large, the majority of them going straight through the course. Um, I mean, they're just really doing well. But, so that's the fun part. And then uh, last Wednesday I was the IOBC graduation speaker, and, and there was a whole bunch of, you know, lieutenants in that class that I taught or, work with one way or another. And because, you know, lieutenants are poor and hungry. We had them over the house for, you know, for, so we had a bunch of lieutenants over the house for the Michigan game, um, had them over for another football game. I forget which one it was. So, you know, we, we had a bunch of
0: ex- This is like the most screwed up one I've had. I'm, I'm really sorry. I got to apologize. <laughs> I got to apologize. I think my time away from this thing for two weeks is like, I, you know, I used all my mental, all my mental capacity last week on algebra homework. And so I'm just, I, I'm, I exhausted all mental bandwidth.
1: You know, well, one, it was so funny to talk to you, you know, last Sunday where were like, I got a crisis at home because we, we've all had those and clearly the priority is helping your kids. Um, but Jamie, the neat thing was I, I saw like five of our classmates that I can think of this week when I was up in Washington, DC. So it was awesome to see people, um, and I talked a couple about this podcast coming up. So, you know, I, our class is strong. You know, at least in, you know, I guess maybe the big cities. But uh, in the interim, I had dinner with Ralph. And his, Ralph Redis, his wife, Kathy. You know, Ralph is uh, groomed my wedding, godfather to my oldest daughter. I mean, just one of my best friends. Uh, spent 90 minutes with DA Sims, who was my yearling year roommate, and you know, DA is about to be a major general. He's got a million things going on, people coming to go from his office, and yet he still uh, gave me nine minutes of his time. And uh, Paul Begalka met with him, and that guy's, you know, super smart guy doing things on the force management side for the Army. I bumped into Scott Gerber, I mean, at the front of the Pentagon, because I don't know my way around that building. Uh, and then Tony Wiesner, he was also there speaking at a, at a sort of conference we were both involved with on different days. So it was just neat to see five of our classmates who otherwise – I wouldn't be and wouldn't be able to talk about had we, uh, had we gone last week. But I- I'm thinking the reason you're having problems is with me. I mean, I was a history major at school, engineering track, so technology has never been my friend. I you think know, I'm probably doing a pure system.
0: I was a computer science guy, so you would think I'd be able to figure this stuff out, and I and, I, I, should be, have, but... Uh, yeah, you have no excuse then. I have no excuse. In fact, I even <laughs> practiced before. I was, like, getting online with other... But other th- I didn't have anybody to, like, verify that the sound was going right so but anyway yeah so last week i mean so i i had to apologize like i had to cancel like 20 minutes out my wife and i were involved all day with something and so i wasn't even home and then my daughter called me it's like daddy what time are you coming home because i you know i'm really having a you know I, and she's normally has no problem at all with this kind of stuff and like i, I was saying before i my dog is like number one in our household but for me, number one in my household are my girls. I mean, I love my boys too, but they're always giving me shit that I'm like, I, I favored them with, but all I needed to hear was like, you know, daddy, I, need, I, need, I was like, shut this thing down. I'm out of here. I like, you know, ran out the door. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, my little Mary Claire, she well, was Claire. On, uh, She did well. Did her test go? She did very well on her test. I mean, what, and actually all I went home and I couldn't figure it out. Cause I, you know, haven't looked at it forever. And I, Called in her older brother Luke, who figured it out in two seconds, and then she learned how to do it, and she did well on her test. But my daughter Mary Claire, we call her; she calls herself Mary Claire since she started going to an all-girls Catholic uh, high school. She because right. her real we we have we, been calling her Claire her whole life, but she decided when she went to this school she was going to be Mary Claire because it was going to you know she's going to curry favor with the uh, with the nuns or whatever. If she, so she's working it. So, uh, so I interrupted you before and we got, we got, we got cut off, but so you're at the infantry school, you're getting a chance to see a lot of these 2019 kids coming through. You said, that's yep. what you miss the most about West Point is being able to mentor, uh, these, you know, younger, um, younger officers.
1: Yeah. So Jamie, it, it, you know, I, I had never served at West Point until I went there in 2014 and, uh one my my deep love and appreciation of West Point, I'm a gray hog. I've always loved West Point. It's always been kind of you know i don't i don't I don't talk about it a lot, but it, if you come in my house, there's West Point stuff everywhere. Uh, you know my my uncle is class sixty one my dad's class sixty eight, my cousin's class eighty six. I mean, it just you know West Point's important to our family. It's important to me. but going back in twenty fourteen and spending the better part of five years there it just it further deepened that love and, you know and I am you know people talk about this millennial generation they're incredible I mean they, they're so selfless they understand the world that they're going to serve in because they've been out there um, so I, I miss it I miss teaching cadets I miss you know opportunities to coach and sometimes mentor cadets and so I'm getting some of that here at Fort Benny with the infantry and armor officers down here and and quite frankly, we got two lieutenants that are uh, at flight school. That we one was the honor captain last year. Another one we sponsored. They're coming up for for Thanksgiving and, and spending a week with us. So it just at the tail end of of my career, it just there's nothing better than spending time with these young officers who are getting ready to lead our army into the future. So yeah, that part of being at Fort Bend is really good.
0: And so I saw pictures of you at Ranger School. Like you're getting, do you get to like sort of like uh, I, I, I assume you're, I, it seemed like you were at the Derby phase, like where they're doing the, um, slide for life and the, and the, that, uh, obstacle course thing where you're like walking above the water. I mean, what, what was the occasion that you ended up there?
1: That, that's all they call Rangers in action. It, it precedes every Ranger graduation. So, you, you know, you know, being an old soldier, there's a bunch of guys and they call it now the airborne or Ranger training brigade because airborne is tucked under it most of the guys that work out there I've worked with in the past. So the, the brigade commander is one of my old subordinate teammates. Um, the fourth battalion command star major, the Benny face, he's one of my old subordinate teammates. And so, you know, I, one, I love everything about Ranger school and training Rangers. And two, I know all the guys out there. So they are very gracious to me. Let me kind of come and go as I please. Um, yeah. You know, they tolerate me, but it's, it's a big deal. and, and you know, so I'm, you know, I get a chance to talk to infantry and armor lieutenants all the time about, you know, Ranger school is the most selfless thing you can do for your future soldiers. Because until you've been through that crucible event, I would argue you don't really know yourself. You don't know your strengths and weaknesses, how sorry and selfish you can be, and more importantly, how great you can be. That when all you know, all everything's stacked against you, a ranger is going to get his or her platoon up on the objective and complete the mission. And so, I love it. I have really nothing to do with Ranger School from my my duties here at Fort Benning, but uh, it certainly keeps me connected with all the people I worked with, and keeps me connected with these these great lieutenants. So I'm going to keep doing that until uh, I have to take off my uniform and,
0: and find something else to do. Do you ever get to like walk on a patrol with these guys, like as an observer or something?
1: Uh, so I did. I was, you know, I commanded IOBC from 2009 to 2011, and I I was actually the brigade XO at the at ranger school the year prior so i used to walk all kinds of patrols back then but i am uh you know as i've gotten older i i had significant knee surgery uh 12 months ago i'm going back in for another eval next week so uh i i can't physically i can't carry a rucksack like i used to so i don't i don't want to go out there in a different uniform from the the students but if i get a clean bill of health next week you bet i'll i'll be back out there uh you know, living with lieutenants and that's, that's a lot more fun than some of my normal duties. So yeah, I just got to get a, get a doctor's clearance before I go do that sort of thing again.
0: Aren't the RIs rucksacks just filled with pillows though? I mean, <laughs> cause you're only out there for one day, right? So they, they look all stuffed well, up, but they're like, you know, filled with yeah, like balloons or something. It's,
1: it's food and survival gear and you know, they got all kinds of safety stuff they carry too. I mean, the, the RIs are, that's just fun. I mean, I'm an old soldier now. So when I go out and talk to the ranger instructors, I'm like, when did you come in the Army? And they're like, well, sir, you know, 2006, 2010. Um, so I'm old compared to them. So it, you know, but they're they're awesome. They always have been awesome people. They still are. Um, and they're, I mean, they're, their contributions to our Army are enormous. So it's neat to be Benning around those type of people, whether it's drill sergeants or ranger instructors or black catheter airborne school, those young people just fire me up. And, How about uh, Sergeant
0: Sump? Is he still there, Sergeant Sump?
1: You know, I, I haven't seen him in forever. Um, so I went to, I was in Ranger Class 292 with Ralph Paredes, Craig Whiteside, Marty Barr, Brent Parmeter, uh, a couple other guys. We were we were the first IOBC class. There was only there was only a handful of us that went to that first Ranger class. And when I came out of uh, the benning phase, my dad and Sergeant Sump worked together before. Something gets on the phone and calls my dad. My parents lived in California at the time, so I don't know. It was it was it was middle of the night at Fort Benning, and my dad just sprang out of bed. Something thought, thought something was wrong, but Sarnsum thought it was hilarious that he'd be the first one to tell my dad that his rotten son uh, got to go was move on to the next phase of Ranger School. Nice, but uh, I have I have not seen him probably since then. Um, but yeah, he was certainly legendary for us as cadet.
0: Did you go straight through?
1: I did, um, but I will. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was so. My my hand to hand buddy, my rappel buddy was Craig Whiteside, and uh, Craig beat the crap. Craig was a high school wrestler. I was a runner. He beat the crap out of me in the hand to hand pit. Um, and I was with I was with Marty Barr and Ralph Paredes the whole time. And so I, you know, those guys pulled me through. I mean, I, you know, I I I was a strong back. I could carry a radio. I carried a shin gun. Um but Craig, I mean, Marty, Marty was like our distinguished honor grad. Brent Parmigy was a different company. He was the officer honor grad. Craig was in the running, and then I think someone, you know, didn't pull their weight late in the Florida phase and we came out. But, uh, you know, regular school was fun with guys like Craig and Marty and, and Ralph, you know. I mean, every day one of us would pull the other guys through it. And I like to tell people I was in a sleeping bag in the mountain phase with Craig Whiteside and Ralph Paredes, three of us in a sleeping bag, and there was room for a fourth person. I mean, I, our hands had been all over each other to stay warm. Um, so it, it was fun. And then, you know, all we did was talk about having a big Super Bowl party uh, when we graduated. And so that kind of got us through through the swamp phase in January. And then we had pictures of the Super Bowl party in 1992, and, and all you see are you know, large things of skippy peanut butter, oh yeah, beer, ever beer everywhere and we're racked out. We we didn't even make it to the game. We all fell asleep.
0: But uh <laughs> so no, I was when did you graduate relative to the Super Bowl? Was it like that same weekend you graduated? Yeah, we graduated on about twenty
1: four January nineteen ninety two. And that's when the Super Bowl was still in the month of January. Right. Uh, before they extended season, so we had we had big plans. That's how we sort of got ourselves through the Florida phase, and then none of us even watched the game. We were, I don't even know remember who played. We just fell asleep. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to remember. But that's sort of been, that's that's kind of been my army experience. Is, you know our classmates have pulled me through this thing for 28 and a half years, and so you know I show up on time, clean shaven and motivated, and uh, and our classmates inspire me and 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 pick me you know, put me in the rucksack and, and get me up on the objective. So it's been awesome.
0: Somehow. Um, so you, you said you listened to the, um, to the podcast with uh, Kenny Mintz last week, right? I, I sure did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he went through with me. He was our honor grad. A guy was, he was just the stud totally at uh, ranger school, but he was telling me, he told the story on that podcast of this army mentorship program which I think connects back to the Simon center. And I want to talk to you more about that, about how we're not just kicking people out of the, out of West point. We're actually giving them an opportunity to redeem themselves. It's the honor redemption program. But uh, interestingly, I just this past week, I interviewed somebody class of 2010 who is, you know, thinking about trying to go into nonprofit and and has a real, you know, real desire to serve. He got medically um, uh, disqualified to continue to serve. He got injured, not in combat, but, career career ending injury. And uh so he told me when he was a he was at ranger school and uh, this RI is like doing the the debrief with him at um after his patrol. And he goes, let me ask you a question. He goes, you know, you're an officer, right? And the guy's like, yeah, kind of sheepishly like yeah, I'm not. He goes, are you West Point? And he's like, uh yeah, Sergeant on West Point. The guys in E6. He goes, yeah, I went to West Point too. I was Army mentorship program. And uh, put me in the army, and then um, I had the opportunity to go back to West Point, and I was like, "Nah, kind of like being, kind of like being enlisted." And he's in, you know, he's an E6, a Ranger instructor, a former cadet. Right. He got the opportunity to go back to West Point and said no. Um, it's an interesting story. He's like, "Oh my God, this guy's gonna fail me for sure," but he didn't. He was, you know, totally fair and everything. But that was an interesting story to hear. I, right on the heels of learning about the Army mentorship program. Yeah. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I would love to. I mean, uh, this was your base. I mean, you ran this thing, right, with the Army Simon Center. Like, this was one of the things that you had direct oversight over, right?
1: It it is. And so our, our, uh, you know, the Simon Center for Professional Military Ethics didn't exist when we were cadets. Um, It was formed in the late, late 1990s. And really, we had, you know, three main roles. The most important thing we did was... Help the Cadet Honor Committee, the Cadet chaining Command, the core Cadets, and you know, the Tax Steward, the Cadet Honor System. That's the most important thing we did. That's where I spent most of my time. Uh, the second piece is we we taught this course called MX400 Officership, which was incredible. I mean, it was just, you know, it's it's a, it's a mandatory course for all firsties as part of the academic and the military program, and it it really helps them understand um, unique trust relationships authorities responsibilities and accountability of being a commissioned officer and we use case studies we use a little bit of army doctrine but it's it's a great course i miss teaching it and the third thing was you know our team was responsible for the character education of the core cadets so all the things that happened during commandant's hour as well as what you just described as the honor mentorship program so um one like you jamie I i'm, I'm a huge fan of it and so it was interesting there are certain people that think that, you know, your character is sort of formed. It's developed by the time you're 18 years old and come to West Point. I totally disagree with that. Um, And so, you know, the system we grew up in was very attritional in nature. And so most of the cadets that violated the honor code either resigned or, you know, General Palmer kicked them out. Some people struggled, but I, you know, I've been a part of this for five years from 14 to 19 most cadets that violate the honor code now, based upon the recommendations of the cadet chain of command, based upon the recommendations of the tax, you know, the honor captain, the commandant, the soup takes all that into consideration. And in most cases, both General Caswell and General Williams granted discretion. And uh, for, for those who violate the honor code that were, you know, it was an egregious case, um, their first or cows, many of them went into what you call the Army Mentorship Program. We now call it the Special Leader Development Program for Honor, or correction, uh, yeah, Army Leadership Program. And uh, these, you know, not everybody makes it. Some of them go out there and, 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 you know, they revealed their true character when they violated the honor code. They revealed that weak character again out in the Army, and, and they don't come back. But all in all, it's very much a developmental model now. So we help these young people that make mistakes. They're retained at West Point. Most of them stay at West Point. They get turned back. They're December grads. They're turned back full year they enter this specially developed program for honor where they, they get a developmental coach, they do community service, they, they write journals, they take a hard look at themselves and sort of examine why they violated the honor code. And, and this process takes, you know, it's designed to take four to six months. Um, they lose all their privileges and it, and it helps them see themselves more clearly and in most cases close the gap between where they are and where they've got to be. To regain the trust of their classmates, to regain the trust of the of the military academy, and demonstrate the potential to be commissioned and go out and serve. So I, I'm a huge fan of it. Um, Doesn't always work, but in most cases it works. And I will tell you, every year I was at Westport Point, we had a very senior member of the cadet honor committee to include one honor captain that violated the honor code. Now she didn't go through the honor the Army mentorship program, but she she did go through these other programs. And she used that opportunity to, to strengthen her character, demonstrate that she understood the she was getting a second opportunity. She was incredible. So that that is a huge difference. A lot of old grads have a problem with it. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to old grads that thought that West Point had gone hell to you know hell in a handbasket, and I, that's not my experience. I, I think if we separate cadets that violate the honor code like we used to, we're losing, we're hemorrhaging hemorrhaging tremendous talent. So uh, I believe in that part of it in the academy mentorship program, army mentorship program where, where people get separated, go to basic training, go out to the operating force and then have their battalion commander like Kenny evaluate them, coach them and try to get them back in. Uh, for the most part, those people come back very mature and in my assessment, become great officers. So that sort of thing is
0: working. So does everybody go out into the army, uh, or is there? Are there? Is there like a gradation of violations? So some people just stay at West Point and do this journaling, and or does yeah
1: it... the, the overwhelming majority I would say about 85% stay at West Point, um, and and they go through this special leadership development program program for honor. Not everybody makes that either. Uh, what's mm-hmm. neat about it is the honor captain gets to you know assess this and make a recommendation. The Simon center gets to assess this, and make a recommendation, add to the to tax, and so. And yeah, most people stay at West Point. Very few people graduate with their class. Almost all of them get turned back six months to a year. The most egregious cases. Um, and so that could be, you know, usually these are cadets that are cows or firsties going to the Army mentorship program. And so not only how long they live under the honor code that goes into the superintendent's decision, but it's also their conduct during the honor board. I mean, the, the those nine panel members write a written statement on that cadet. and Some cadets show up at the honor panel and, and uh, they're not contrite, they continue to lie and, and, and they're found by panel of their peers and, and each one of their peers write the statement as does the board president saying, here's what we think about this cadet. And Then the cadet gets a chance to meet with the commandant for about an hour and then meet with the superintendent for 30 to 45 minutes and they do their own assessment. So. Some of it is the egregiousness of the case. Some of it's when it occurred, and some of it is their their behavior after they're on a board. That all goes into the superintendent's decision whether to what type of punishment and whether to retain them at West portion or send them out. But but I'm uh, I'm a fan of these developmental programs um, because I, I believe our character is always under development. I mean I'm I turn 50 next month. You know Jamie, I'm I'm proud of my character. It's, it's our classmates and my family who have stood by my side. And when I've tried to do something stupid, they've said, that's not who you are. That's not who we are. And they've pulled me back. And so I like to tell cadets, I can see the harder right and easier wrong in every case in my life. And yet I still gravitate towards easier wrong sometimes because I'm, I'm inherently flawed as a human being. And so if a, if a guy who spent, you know, a couple of decades in the Army still sometimes wants to do the wrong thing. How do we hold cadets to such an incredibly high standard? So I believe in this developmental approach. I've seen it firsthand. Um, and I've watched people that are, that have learned from their mistakes, strengthen their character, go on to be incredible army officers. So, and there was a guy that I think I'm not sure if we we're on the air or not, but I was the IOBC graduation speaker last Wednesday. One of the guys that graduated uh, went through the army mentorship program. So he, Separate for honor. He's originally class of fifteen. Went through basic training. Went to the 82nd Airborne Division. Went to Ranger School. Deployed to combat with them. Came back to West Point. Yeah, he struggled academically, so that delayed his graduation a little bit. But he graduated from IOBC um, last Wednesday, and he's got a couple other small schools here at Fort Bragg, and off to, to lead a platoon. So it it works, and we got to have it because you know if you look at our society we got some real challenges with we bring in tremendous young women and men into West Point and they are incredible, but they're, they're a reflection of our society. And so, uh, we have to break some really bad habits when they get to West Point that, that don't build cohesive teams, that don't build relationships of trust. And so I'm all about this developmental model at West Point to, to help them over the course of 47 months, you know, understand that, uh, if you want to be a cadet and a corps cadet, if you want to be an army officer, you have to demonstrate exemplary decision making and behavior every day. You don't get a pass because uh, you're tired or you're you know you're up all night or it's a fair week. And so yeah, I'm I'm pretty proud of of the cadet stewardship of this system and and the way the academy has embraced this model. Uh, it, it's good for the officer corps. It's good for the army.
0: You know, I listened to the uh, to the oral history that you gave uh, to West Point, and you talked about the evolution of the cadets uh, really taking ownership of this program right. over the course yep. of your four and a half, five years there. And that, you know, the, the really tough thing is when you've got, you know, your peers, you know, they, they want to, they, they, they tend to want to ask the softball questions and, and really not know the inconvenient truth about what happened because they they want to just push somebody right through and give them, you know, a not found honor board. And that that has kind of changed over the course of, of the last couple of years. And people are really, you know more more focused on this approach for clarification and i think also it's probably helpful that you know that it's not like the nuclear option it's not like you know if you get found for honor you're getting kicked out It's you get found for honor you're getting a slug and you got to sort of rehabilitate yourself but it's not over you know it's not it's not game it's not you know game over and uh, right. i wonder you know i'm sure there was and we lost at least one classmate that i know of that would have been an excellent army officer um that um, you know, I, I don't even know the whole story. I, I just I just can't even believe that he, um, that that he got separated, and um, would have probably been just an outstanding officer, and and the army missed out on that. But you know, th- probably there's you know dozens of people like that over the course of however many years before the institute of this program that 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 it works like this. And I think also, as you know, I was talking on the pre-call. I look at other professions that lack this kind of self-accountability. You know, I look at specifically teachers, clergy, and police officers. They're the ones who need to police their own ranks, right? Because if, if you got some, somebody that's not pulling their weight and they're being protected by, the, by, their, by their, their peers, um, it just brings down the entire profession. It just kills the whole sort of ability to have this – those are professions that should be looked up to. And if there's like this kind of mentality of protecting it. So anyway, enough of my, yeah. enough of my philosophical uh, talk. So tell me about, so you come from a military family. So your father was, a, was a grad, your uncle was a grad. Yeah. So you, you grew up in, on going around military installations. Did, did you ever think about not going to West Point or was this like a set thing from when you were like a young kid?
1: Oh, no, no. So uh... My parents were awesome. They, they put absolutely no pressure on me. They put pressure on me to apply to colleges, but they didn't care where I applied. Um, and so my junior year in high school, I grew my hair long. I was really into running. Yeah, I, I, was, I thought I, if I just kept training harder, I could get a scholarship, which was never going to happen. But I was young and dumb. So I, I wanted nothing to do with the military. I never did a visit to West Point, although I lived at West Point as a kid. From '75 to '79, and we used to have cadets in the house, so I, I had those memories as a young kid. But uh, my senior year in high school, uh, my family moved here to Fort Benning. You know, I went to, you know, I went to a school that was almost all, you know, kids of soldiers. And I just kind of said, you know what? The more I fight this, the more I realize this is probably what I want to do. Um, I, I applied to the Air Force Academy. I went out there, and it was not for me. I just, I could tell from a from my overnight visit, this was not where I'd be happy. So I went to West Point and, um, you know, it it, it could not have worked out any better. Like I said, I, I'm a complete gray hog. So, you know, I remember getting letters from my parents, you know, during, uh, during Beast barracks, he look so proud. He look so, you know, you're so sure of yourself. And I was, you know, the letters I was writing that I didn't mail back was I'm quitting.
0: This <laughs> I'm out of here. Um, <laughs> yeah, my my uh, my cousin uh, went to Coast Guard Academy, and um, uh-huh. you know, they at the at the end of the at the end of the parade or whatever, they let them reunite with their families. You know, the first day, and what he said to my uncle was, "I'm definitely gonna quit. I just don't want to <laughs> be the first one. As soon as somebody else yeah. quits, I'm out of here. I, I I'll be right. number too So he made it all the way through, yeah. you know, and um, so <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it was. Uh... You know, I mean, West Point wasn't easy for any of us, but, uh, you know, as I like to tell cadets, I mean, you're, the true gift of West Point is your classmates. And, and when you live within the barracks and you you live within this community of trust that we all contributed to or try to contribute to uh, and you do it right, then you've got lifelong friends and people that sustain and inspire you forever. And, and that is certainly that's my story
0: um so company e1 is where you started um i know I you did. didn't graduate with e1 but we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit but so e1 so tell me about some of these cats from e1 because they were like right around the corner from me so i know some of the same people i mean yeah. so you had you have you have a whole whole cast oh, of yeah. characters there right i did one so, though
1: uh E one did So great company um so Pat Hines, Bobby Seymour, Tony Logan, Warren Cox, who uh, the dean asked to leave after two years, but was a group of my wedding. I'm still in touch with Andy Dazinski, Beach Saxey, now Beach Pace, who I saw less than a year ago, DA Sims, Darren Olson, Chris Willis, Joe Ryan, Terry Wright, on and on and on. It was just great company. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that was,
0: I was all in. And that was. um, And you had. General Austin was your tack, right? So he, like, he, he was, <laughs> to, to what extent does that help you in the army or not? I mean, like, or, or, or at all, is it irrelevant? I mean, I just, it,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I've crossed paths with him once as the captain. Um, I crossed paths with him and kind of looked at me funny and I, you know, I reminded him he was my tack. Uh, of course I wasn't, you know, 140 pounds anymore when shaved head. If he remembered me as a plebe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was a he was a chair and supporter of the Department of Behavioral Science and Leadership past couple of years at West and I saw him a couple times then. But now he's I mean, he's obviously a, a true servant of the nation, just an incredible army leader, strategic leader, but no, we never I never worked for him, never really crossed paths other than just in passing. But uh no, E one was awesome. I mean it was uh that was my home and as you uh, alluded to, um you
0: know, we were very hard on the plebes as oh, a sort so of. Let's let, let's let's put a yeah. pin in that. I want to get back to that in a second. Okay. I want to talk some All more right. about this, some of these E one characters. So, okay, you said All you right. were you were rooming with Terry Rice. I was as a plebe. Yeah, Terry and I, No, no, no. I think Terry and I were
1: roommate uh, second semester, cow year, which okay. was my last semester in E one. Okay. Um, we had like we're in Grant Barracks. We're on the back side, facing you know sherman and lee barracks and like on the first floor it was like a dungeon down there it was like no sun down there but terry was an awesome roommate i mean just one of those guys who you know he was always smiling i mean just uh you know could take a punch and just kind of like hey tomorrow will be better and so that was that was kind of my experience me one just i mean you know at the time it didn't seem like any of us were necessarily destined for greatness but together as a company it was just awesome. And yeah, so I kind to recall I you guys it.
0: being like really like strack like, like in terms of like, you know, like being the most, um, kind of high, high level of military bearing. I, I felt like you guys were, were, were really well,
1: good. Well, yeah. So E1, E1 was, you know, Sandhurst drill and ceremony, uh, sort of room standards, personal appearance were really important. Now I remember, our plea year watching the, the first he's come back from branch night and post night. There were some long faces because academics was not our company strength. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we, we spent a lot of time doing military and physical stuff, which was, was good for me. That's what I wanted to do. But then, you know, when it came time for the out the order merit list, uh, one won at least for class of 88, uh, didn't fare so well. So, but that was our, that was sort of our, our company culture, our company commander is getting Randy George, who's getting ready to pin on the third star and take command of one of our Army's corps out at uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. I'm still in touch with him. Um, so we had awesome leadership, you know, both from our TAC and then from the class of 88 and 89, and just a great company servant. Um I didn't take so much of the plea, but as soon as we got recognized and all these guys sort of revealed the true colors, it was awesome.
0: So Terry Rice um he was his parents were on post there right so would you guys yeah, able to like yeah. go to his place and and like decompress like yeah like a place that you can just kind of unwind there
1: You know I don't remember we, it was um it, it Terry's dad was in the band uh Rob Johnson was in our company his his dad was on the faculty staff Kimball Edwards was in E1 his dad was a faculty staff You know I I don't remember I'm sure we did I remember, I remember going to Rob Johnson's house for the ice cream. Social. So, t-
0: oh, so I, I got to go, tell me about the day that Terry Rice jumped off the damn clock tower and ripped his finger it, off uh, like on the top of the clock tower. Cause you, it, that, that yeah. had to be like, like a memorable experience, right? It, it was, I mean, but, but it was, so we felt, yeah, I mean, you were an F1.
1: So D1, E1, F1, we were there in the Grant U. And like, we'd all like, as please, we'd go out around the clock tower and just, just you know, be, be idiots. Bac- yeah. But buffoonery. Yeah. yeah. And I don't remember if Terry, Terry somehow climbed it. Yeah, he climbed it.
0: He was it. doing a rocket up there. I remember this. I remember him climbing, jumps down, and then he's got like this panic stricken look on his face and he runs into the barracks. Is, yeah. Yeah. The, the end
1: of his finger is stuck in the clock there. And I don't think it was ever recovered. I don't remember. If, that seems like a first semester plebe year thing, but I don't remember. But yeah. I definitely remember we were, because we were out there, because we could fall out. We'd go out there and just clown yeah, around. Yeah,
0: did some sort of, like, like, little, like, whatever, like, a little spirit, yeah, uh, or, but yeah, yeah, some kind of, oh, my Yeah, God, they weren't asking yeah. us
1: knowledge, and they weren't looking right. at our shoes. Right. And, yeah, I just remember Terry either jumping down or falling down, and it was sort of silent. and then he sprinted into the barracks, and, and we're, and I don't think we, at the time, we realized it, it, I don't, I know I didn't, and then, you know, of course, he's legendary for it now. I mean, every union, people are like, let me see your, let me see your finger. Um,
0: <laughs> so... so. So, yeah. so but he, he Terry's on this boat. He's gotta you, you gotta populate this thing with the story because he said yeah, something about there, how, there. there was well but I guess somebody put the finger the top of the finger in a tumbler, like one of those tumblers from our from our medicine cabinet. And then the next day or the next Sammy made a really big point of saying, Sir, the reason why my tumbler is not in my you know, in my cabinet and it gives a whole story like laying it out like like you know, like sort of like like the whole sort of like um, gory details of what happened. I used my tumbler to put Cadet Rice's finger in it, uh-huh. uh, so he could go up to uh, Letterman Army Hospital, wherever that was. No Keller Army Hospital. Yeah. You
1: know, I I, I don't remember that fall, but remember we lived in division, and so you were right. sort of you sort of isolated. And we our platoons were in divisions. so Terry and I were not the same platoon at that time. And so it'd be sort of you know you kind of bond together with the guys in your in your platoon. Um, and then you know we didn't get to fall over often with with you know our classmates other if We in the division. It was weird. So no, no,
0: it was Terry's Terry's. Ter- 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 he says Randy George picked it up. He picked up the finger. It was his middle finger, not his. It picked up his middle finger and put it in the in the tumbler and then put the made this big sort of like diatribe about why his tumbler was uh, not properly displayed in his medicine cabinet <laughs> anymore.
1: Yeah. I- Brandon George is here. That's just one more thing he's done to make him, you know, impressive uh, to me. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember the details. I remember it was, uh, you know, as we get older, people think different things about us. But for Terry, everybody will always remember. Terry is the guy who lost his finger in the clock tower.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a great. It's, I mean, I mean, sucks, but definitely a memorable story. Yeah. <laughs> so that so let's, let's fast forward. So you've cow year. Cal, you, yep. you got you got into a little bit of a a little bit of a of a of a tight spot with uh, the administration, right, over over something. So what happened there?
1: Yeah, so, uh, uh, so you know, E1 was very hard on plebes, and so Pat Hines, Tony Logan, and I were B squaliers together with uh, Carter Rogers, and we basically were very hard on the new cadets, just like people have been hard on us. And then we go into the academic here, first semester Cal year past the first sergeant, uh Tony and I are both platoon sergeants and we're roommates. And uh Tony is a guy that is uh, <laughs> he's intimidating to uh to plebes. He's the nicest guy in the world, but to a plebe he's intimidating. So we were really hard on the plebes. And um, you know, you know, all these years later, you know, I didn't uh didn't threaten anyone, didn't use profanity, and never touched anyone, but we were hard on the plebes and one plea quit or actually he was brought up on honor by not even not one of us no one, one of our classmates and uh he resigned in lieu of his honor board and then uh after the fact wrote some skating letter about all the the torture that pat tony and i had inflicted upon him and don't be wrong there, there were a couple things that, that pat and i did that i would not do again um but so can, we had you, a, we can
0: you, had you a, elaborate? Can you give us a little some some details? There yeah. Right?
1: So so you know, E one was a great company, and so we had a guy who class of ninety three, who was a manager on one of the sports teams, and Pat was the first art, and this guy was in my platoon, and you know, said hey, everybody's going to get blood, you know, sort of non negotiable. We don't even think about it. Everyone's going to get blood, have her It seemed like every six weeks or seven weeks we're getting blood. Right.
0: The blood lady. And this guy. Blood lady, Yeah.
1: Yeah. the blood So, so this, this plebe is like, you know, he's roger that and he didn't get blood. So Pat looked at the roll. So uh, Pat and I go into this guy's room and uh, <laughs> Pat takes off his saber and says, Hey, it's just between you and me. And it was like right out of a movie. It was just a dumb ass <laughs> move We're between Pat blood right and now. Yeah. me. <laughs> right. So he says, you know, I'm not your first sergeant, I'm just another cadet. And then, you know, Pat's like, "Why didn't you get blood?" And he's like, "Well, I don't have to. I'm a core squad athlete." And that course I got Pat and I fired up because he was a manager, not an athlete. And uh, so Pat took off his rank, took off his saber, and uh, and you know said, "Let's settle this man to man." Of course, the guy didn't do anything, but that was accurate reporting. That happened, and I was there. I did nothing about it. Uh, and in fact, I doubled down because you know Pat was my best friend of the cadet, and mm-hmm. so that didn't help us when we had our little trial during, during uh, intercession in January. So,
0: so, so well, bottom line is, go ahead. Well, I mean, so your, your, your father and your uncle are like old, old core guys. Right. So like, yep. like at the time, like, what was that dynamic? Like, like, Hey dad, guess what? I'm in like, I'm in a world of hurt here. Like, what should I do?
1: Yeah. So, so Jamie, my, my parents were stationed at West Point, our yearling and Cal year.
0: Okay, so this my happened dad, while they
1: were my, there. It was, yeah. So, so uh, my dad was in DMI. And, uh, and so, you know, they, you know, old Pete Champagne, the first reg RXO, who to this day is the exact opposite of what I would expect as a commission officer, he pulled me and gathered statements. I, you know, he read me my rights. We so he answered my questions? Yes, sir. I don't know. I didn't know what was going on. I answered all those questions. I came back a day or two later to sign this document. I said, sir, that's not what I said. Yes, it is. Sign the document. I sir, I'm not signing that. That's not, that's not what I said. So, you know, from my perspective, and if Tony and Pat were here, they would probably agree. You know, the Academy was looking to make some changes with the fourth class system. And, you know, the old Sun Tzu principle of kill one, terrorize a thousand. Uh, they killed five of us because there were a couple guys in A1 that went down for the same thing. Um... So we had the soups board. We had a, the investigating officer with Lieutenant colonel from BSNL. So we're like, we're done. We're going to get this touchy feely dude. He listened to all the evidence and said, these guys, <laughs> they deserve a verbal and written reprimand. They did exactly what they've been trained to do. And again, no, no profanity, no, no violence, no touching people. Um, poor hard. And so that went to the brand new commandant, General Bramlett, who said, I disagree with the investigative officer. So we went to the superintendent. Um, I don't remember. Tony stayed in E1. Pat and I were prototypes for the scrambling program. I went to I2. Pat went to I4. So they took, took our spring and summer leave, walked some area tours, had to enroll in a creative writing thing about, you know, what we learned about ourselves. Um, so I was devastated to leave E1. I mean, it sucked. But having said that, I2 – Welcome me with open arms Mm -hmm. and so you know what was really neat was I think I have twice as many friends than the average guy in our class because you know I too didn't have to do that they you know they I'm a some new guy joining them in like March April of our cal year and they were awesome and so uh so I, I feel very lucky one to have a bunch of great friends from two regiments and uh and two To go back at reunions and you know i get to hang out with two groups of two tribes of people that uh, are special so it you know it's it it still burns all these years later but you know everything happens for a reason and and i'm still going strong uh pat hines commanded the brigade in 82nd i lost track of tony logan uh years ago and the two guys from a1 i stayed in touch with them they're doing great too
0: so looking here at the list of people from i2 so you had uh Couple, couple names here that I, I know uh, I know well, like uh, B.T., Mr. Uh, Brian Turner, who's right. like the FBI. Sure.
1: Yeah, Brian Turner, phenomenal. Went to IOBC and raider school with Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, just an incredibly smart and supless guy to these days. You know, Dave Colkin was my first roommate there. He was the company honor rep. Mm-hmm. He was like a the scout. They sent him in, and, and Dave is such a nice guy. He's like, what's your deal, man? So he sort of interrogated me, and, you know, I, I think he gave me a thumbs up. Uh, Rich Veehan was the best man of my wedding. Rich and I lived together all first year. Uh, Brett Campbell, Christy Cassidy, now Rooney, just awesome person. Mm-hmm. Z- Zine Crow, who is weird as can be, lives out in Oregon doing whatever, but just a great guy. Uh, Troy Prestenburg, who we sponsored, his son. He's a firstie now at West Point. Uh, Michael, Jed Shirtle, Clint Heist. I mean, again, it, you know, so whereas E1 was all about, you know, you know, doing well in the military and physical programs and drill and ceremony in Sandhurst, I, too, was a really smart company, but a fun company. So, I, you know, I got the best of both Troy Prestonberg
0: just wrote, he goes, and, and I, too, I, too, Sandhurst team got a lot better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that was the one, I, I hope, you know, that was the one thing I like, okay, I can, you know, I can't bring up their overall GPA, uh, but but I had learned from some of the best people about Sandhurst. So, yeah, Troy and I were the squad leaders our first year, and uh, that was fun. So yeah, it was, I, I feel very blessed that I, that I, uh, I did one, I didn't get separated, which I shouldn't have, but you know, that's always in the cards. Mm-hmm. And two, um, I got to meet some incredible people that otherwise I would not have met except for, you know, our core curriculum and history classes.
0: So what do you think? Is a scramble a good idea? Should they be scrambling or, I mean, cause you basically were scrambled. You're in the 91 scramble. Yeah.
1: So I, I am, I'm personally anti scrambling. Okay. Uh, we scrambled the class to eighteen three times and uh it, it killed them. I mean it was they just they they were they were absolutely bitter cadets. They they never really gelled as a as a leader team. Uh nineteen stayed the whole company the whole same company the whole time. So I'm I'm pro keeping the companies, but uh one of the things that's different I mean cadets now live with the same people like seven or eight semesters. And I, I think that's a bad idea. I think that breeds I mean, way too roommates? much familiarity.
2: The roommates? The roommates like, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, okay. So, I mean, it, you know, so I, there's, a, there's a guy that, he's an infantry officer down here, Fort Benning, he was one of my students. He was a company commander second semester, first year. And, and he was telling me, his company mates would tell him, hey, we're going to blow posts, we're going to break regulations, and we expect you to cover for us. And he's like, I'm the company commander. Right. I can't do that. And they said, well, if we get caught, we expect you to recommend some really lenient punishment. He's like, I can't do that either. I'm the company commander. So that, there are some challenges that people can get in the same company for four years. The tax have just got to be involved. Um,
0: have you heard the story about H2 getting blown up, uh, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. I heard this from, uh, Craig Morrow. No. So Wait,
1: that, what, by the way, H2 is still an awesome company, even to this day.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. They're happy too. They're, they're, they're great. So yeah. H2, so the story, the way the story goes was that they did a scramble. They scrambled like the first, like, so like the, you know, the, the cows scramble into this thing and the firsties are all there they're welcoming the cows and and they have the you know yearlings from the year before and they said we're just going to have a party we're just going to have like uh like a like a like a full out like almost like a i mean no plebes involved but like all the upperclassmen we're just going to have like straight up party and right. um and there's like no leadership because the firsties were like you know I guess the, I, maybe the first season had just been scrambled also or something. So there were, like nobody knew anybody and there was like no accountability. And apparently what happened was they got busted having this like massive party. And the, the, comp, the comp said, I'm just going to blow up the whole company. Everyone's getting scrambled back out into another company. So they, they found like everybody's doppelganger and put them back into H2. So like, they felt like you're a core squad athlete. So we're going to swap you into, you know, I2 and bring that guy over here. And, you know, you're a female cadet who's, uh, you know, who's, who's, um, you know, on the band or something. We're going to move this one over here from the choir. Like, it's completely reconstituted the whole company. H2. Right. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I never heard of that. but that I mean,
1: it, it's, you know, I, what, again, the cadets are awesome people, but, you know, they there's nothing they did that we didn't do. We just didn't have cell phones to capture it. Mm -hmm. And So they would look at me and and be like, you know, sir, you have no idea what's going on there. It's like, Oh yes, I do. You know, (laughs) you guys are not that creative. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I never heard of the, the H2 story. That didn't surprise me. I mean, there's, you know, there, there are some, there are sub. you know, again, our team at the Simon Center is responsible for character rehabilitation. Sometimes, we had programs for companies, clubs, teams, where the culture was not what it should be, and, and we would try to help them to get back on their feet. So, but I never heard of that, but yeah, I can see it happening.
0: So let's fast forward now a little bit more. So outside of West Point, I mean, so you graduate. So, so your graduation was that, so you graduate with I2, but you I probably did. made a point of, getting back with everybody from e1 too so like were you able to go to like the e1 graduation parties and the i2 graduation parties or were you like kind of moving around in the uh, in grad week no I, I i hung out strictly with the moose in fact
1: <laughs> i was so tired during graduation week we had some type of party out at bear mountain um and i remember i was so smoked i said goodbye went back to the barracks room i was living with rich me and brent campbell at the time and i went to bed Um, and I just, I was smoked. And so what what was neat is on graduation day, there's a picture of me and Pat Hines. and Pat was my best friend as a cadet. And we're walking up. We're both in the picture at the same time. He's an I four now. I'm an I two and I'm saluting president Bush and Pat is right next to me. Come up the other side. It just, so it all worked out. I mean, Pat and I stayed in touch, but uh, no, I grad week. I was all about, um, too because that was my new home and they were so good to me uh as years go by sort of the guys that i'm really closest to though um are not from either company the guys that yeah. branched in
0: like credit i think i think that's another thing too like kenny Manson was saying this too like you guys that got out early guys that got out like you know five years or or you know around that time you remember so much more from that time period because Right. That's all you have. Like, I have all these other years, all the, like he said that there's some people, he doesn't remember that, that they're his classmate. They could be class of 92, class of 90, like he forgets who's who. Right. Cause you guys right. have such a wealth of experience in the army together. Right. I mean, I, I've,
1: there've been very, very few times, my wife and I went to dinner tonight and, and I was kind of telling her that at my most, where I was most scared during deployments, there was always a member of the class of '91 nearby, um, and that was incredibly—it um, co- just made me comfortable that I know that sharing a sharing a boundary, or I could pick up the radio and call for help. I mean, that was just always been that way. So yeah, it's, so, my closest friends are the guys that I served with in, in the infantry over the years.
0: We're getting a lot of thumbs up here about that. I think people want to hear more about that. So you're you're downrange, you're in a combat situation. And there's another right, right on your right or your left is another, another classmate, basically, you know, protecting your flank, right?
1: Yeah. So, so Brent Parmeter, he and I were, uh, we're both battalion S3s in the early stages of Iraq, and I'm in a light infantry unit. Uh, I'm with the 25th ID. He's with the Big Red One, and uh, we're both operating in in a place called Samara, part of the Sunni Triangle. And I'm in soft skin Humvees, and Brent and tanks and Bradleys. And, uh, one of our vehicles breaks down on a, on a levee, so we're exposed and we start taking ineffective fires, but we're getting shot at. And so we're all huddled down and, and, and I call Brent and, um, and Brent's the battle space owner. We're moving through his battle space to go visit one of our companies that's working for Brent. And I, I, you know, I, I, as I look back, I mean, yeah, we're in a really bad spot, but Brent was so calm on the, on the radio. He was like, I'm coming. And when Brent says he's coming, that means he's coming. And so, he shows up. I, I mean, I want to say it was a platoon of Bradleys and a, a section of tanks. I mean, he comes heavy. And, of course, you know, the problem is is no longer there. And he's looking down at me from his Bradley. You know, Brent's a the goofy guy. And he goes, I'm not doing this for you. Because <laughs> our, our families are really close. He goes, one. I don't want you to get shot in the ass. Cause I know you'll milk that the rest of your career with some, you know, lame ass purple heart. I'm doing this so that, you know, every time I see Misty, my wife from here on out, she knows I saved your life. So if you ask Brent, he's got a much more colorful version of the story than me. But, uh, but that's the first one is Brent Parmeter in Iraq. And, and the one that is most searing in my mind is, uh, well, I guess same, same Iraq as well. um, where my battalion had been deployed for almost a year. We got extended for the national elections, and we got attached to a striker brigade in Mosul. And you know, this had the brigade S3 was D8 then. again, my roommate yearling year, who is incredible. I, you know, he's just an, an incredible person. He's even a, as great as a person he is. That guy, the sky's the limit for him. So VA is the brigade S3. Uh, John Leffers is the battalion XO on one side of the Tigris river and Mark Beaker, is a uh, battalion S3 where we are. And then Andy, Andy Orrick is a battalion three from the, from the 82nd. We brought a bunch of forces together for this election. And, uh, um, is Mark bigger telling. He is listening or his wife is yeah. listening. Yeah. So, so Mark's my hero. Um, I'll just, I'll try to say that without getting choked up. He's my hero. And, uh,
0: yeah, you said, I'll just, say, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll just relay well, uh, one thing you said to me in the pre-call yeah. was that you met somebody years later who served in his battalion he, he was a battalion commander and he said, he ruined the army for me because there's yeah, nobody so, better.
1: Yeah, so there's I was at Fort Leavenworth two weeks ago and I ran into one of his lieutenants who asked me if I know Colonel Beeger of course, he's one of my closest friends and he told me that exactly that 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 he expected the army to be just like Mark and Amy Bigger built for four nine infantry and it wasn't. And he's been looking for that leadership ever since. One of my teammates here at Fort Benning worked for for Mark as well. And same thing. And so I mean I you know, I'll just I'll say it Mark is the best officer in our in our in our class. He's the most humble, um the most gracious, he's the bravest He he just—he's the most honorable man in our class, and so um, those days in Mosul were
2: dark. And uh, (laughs) um,
1: I think we both thought we were going to die. And so the closeness of classmates who can have that awful conversation with each other about how much they love each other and they love their families—that just doesn't happen normally. But but between two classmates that have grown up in the army together. I will never forget that. So, And Mark is a guy. He, he's retiring from the Army here in a couple of weeks. Um, what a loss for the Army, because if there, if there ever was a person that should be a general officer in our class, it's Mark Baker. So between Mark, John Leppers, D.A. Sims, Andy Ulrich up in Mosul, incredible. Um, my first tour in Afghanistan, this was 2012. Um, we came in behind Kenny Mintz and Greg Anderson. And you want to talk about two people that uh, selflessly lead from the front. I mean, I, I went over there for, we call it a pre-deployment site survey, went over there for a couple of weeks to learn from their unit before we came over from the 82nd. And uh, I'm in awe. I mean, I just can't believe the the conditions that these guys are living and fighting in. And, and you know, if you know Kenny and Greg, and these guys are just, what I like to call unyielding optimism. I mean, in the spite of casualties and horrific conditions, they lead from the front. Um, and so I bump in, you know, I sent Kenny a text last week. I, I'm, I'm speaking at this IOBC graduation, and, and the first sergeant there, he has a 32nd infantry regiment on his dress uniform. And I said, you know what? One of my best friends is, was, a, was a leader in that unit. And I have no idea who this first sergeant is. And he goes, well, who is it, sir? And I said, well, you know, now Colonel Kenny Mintz, but he commanded 132 infantry. And this first sergeant, and he gets tears in his eyes. He goes, sir, I was his security platoon sergeant when he was a staff sergeant. And so he starts telling me from a staff sergeant's perspective about our classmate, Kenny Mintz, who, what he did to build an incredible team at Fort Drum before they deployed. And again, he said, and then we get into combat, no change. All the investment in his leaders, which is not easy, that he put into that battalion paid off you know, in, the, in the crucible ground combat. So took over from those two, so that was incredible. And then Wayne Brewster is right across the Argonaut River from me. So every Wednesday, we would, we would drive to Kandahar City to meet with the provincial governor and to talk and listen. And so we would try to get there. 15 minutes so early so Wayne and I could have a cup of coffee together and just as two classmates connect before we went about our way. Wow. So, it just, you know, this is small things, but again, Wayne and I were lieutenants together. We were battalion commanders together at Fort Benning. I mean, he's just, you know, just good as gold. Uh, I was back in Afghanistan two years ago. Johnny Richardson was one of my bosses. And I didn't know Johnny as a, you know, Johnny is a two-star general now. I didn't know Johnny as a cadet very well. Uh, and he took over my my the previous boss I worked for was incredible. Johnny comes on board, and uh, it was just unbelievable. I mean, he could Johnny could look at the problem. We were we were advisors to the Afghan National Army, and and we were getting the Afghans to fight ISIS in eastern Afghanistan along the Pakistan border. And Johnny walks in with a with a, a clear lens and 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 trusted me, and and just unbelievable. And so. You know, I mean, I just incredible. Um, you know, Ralph, Fredis, and I were in Af- We were in different parts of the country in Afghanistan, in 2012, and I, you know, we had this thing called Tanberg Secure VPC. And it would buzz, and there's Ralph just checking on me. Hey, man, what's going on? You know, I I, I see what's going on in your in your battle space. Are you doing okay? And and just that's what the so class 91 has point, done to each
0: other. At this point, Ralph, Ralph's also the uh, godfather of your daughter, right? So. He is. So he's he's um, there. He, here he is, like sort of a lifelong friend, and you know uh, somebody who's going to be you know part of your part of your your daughter's life forever, and he's checking in on you. Yeah,
1: Ralph. Uh, Ralph is is my brother. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's what the class ninety one means to me, and I've been so lucky to have classmates over the years who, again, I if not for an incredible wife and, and incredible kids and, and our classmates, I would have flamed out in the army, you know, a long time ago, but I've always had people that I looked up to that could help me learn from my mistakes and, and, and share their best practices with me. And it was just fun. I mean, that's, that's why I tell cadets, I said, you have no idea how much fun you're going to have out in the army with your classmates. It's incredible. So you know, I just that, thats my story, and, and so it's, you know, it. Our classmates have inspired me. So I, you know, you know, there are a lot of our, our peers that were getting out of the army in the late '90s, and then you know the army was in, going through some tough times, and so the more the longer I stayed in, I would have teammates at the board and go, sir, why, why do you stay in the army? I mean, it, it, this is pre-9/11 for the most part, and then afterwards, obviously the mission changed. And I would tell people up through about 18 years, I stayed in the Army because the non-commissioned officers that trained and inspired me, but really because of our peers. And I just, I, I enjoyed serving with them so much. And then uh, that, that's no different here 28 and a half years. You know, I mean, they are, there's other reasons for staying in the Army now, but, you know, the, the quality of our peers has not changed. So, you know, I don't know if I got caught up early, but I spent 90 minutes at D.A. Sims. Uh, last week in his office. And he's got all kinds of people coming and going, asking him to review some important things uh, for the nation. And he's like, no, 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 this can wait. And so we're just two old roommates having a great time talking. So, I mean, I, our class motto is important to me. I mean, I, that is sort of, you know, guidepost to live by. And, uh, and I've seen it manifested in so many of our classmates over the years. It's been awesome.
0: Yeah, it really is kind of like a barometer to live your life, you know, duty shall be done. I I don't know if we realized when we were, you know, plebes at Lake Frederick, how actually, (laughs) how how that would be such a um, powerful motto and such a like to be embedded in so much of what we do. I I think to myself, like, you know, you mentioned before about like, you know, thinking about like the way you live your life and like if somebody else is like watching this like if it was it was a it was another cadet or if it was a it was a soldier if it was your family whatever you've got like this sort of like like eyes that maybe aren't even watching you but you got to be thoughtful of it like i think about that too like to what extent is this is this moving this forward this idea of like duty shall be done are we are we doing something in service of the country and service of the nation are we advancing things i i think it's a it's a very powerful measurement uh, that we're all living up to, I think.
1: You know, and, and Jamie, I'm, I'm terrible. I, I have very few regrets in life, but I'm terrible at staying in touch with people. My, my wife, Missy is awesome at that, but it's not just our teammates and classmates in uniform. So I, the, uh, at our 25th reunion, I was talking to Beach X, you know, Beach Pace. And, uh, you know, she is so involved in big Brother and big sisters out in the Portland, Oregon area. So I said, you know, I asked the Beach, would you come to West Point and speak at our our national conference on ethics in America? And I, I was getting ready to go out the door to Afghanistan, so I wouldn't even win there for the conference. But the cadet feedback and my teammates in the Simon Center said she is unbelievable. And I thought, of course she is. You know, mm. She's she's class of '91. You know, of course she. I mean, she's completely selfless. You know, all about you know, building strong teams for people that don't have um, some of the advantages that that we had growing up. And so I just, I'm, you know, D.A. Sims and I last week were talking about Becky Canis, you know, and her podcast with you. And that, you know, D.A. I mean, D.A. is just an incredibly warm, funny guy, but he's talking about listen to Becky Canis and he's and he's sort of going, and I think he probably, I think he had this conversation with you, maybe, Larry, he's like, am I doing enough? You know, he's asking himself, am I doing enough to build strong communities to help people that are less fortunate? So that's, whether it's in uniform or out, we have so many classmates and you know better than me because you're talking to a lot of them that are just, you know, they're living up to our class motto. That makes me incredibly proud.
0: Yeah. makes me very proud as well. Um, so, so I, I don't know, I, I sent out an email today to the class talking about this podcast and also just reflecting on the spirit of Thanksgiving and the experience we had, um, you know, at West Point and then also the experience we common experience we had also probably in the army, right? So, I mean, imagine, you know, when you were deployed, um, to Iraq and, and then again in Afghanistan, there's probably more than a couple of Thanksgivings where you were away from your family. Um, do you have any memories of that or any kind of like, uh, thoughts about, about this week coming I, up?
1: Yeah, I do. And so, um, you know, it, it is, well, first of all, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday just cause it's all about family and togetherness and football. Um, so yeah, I mean, being deployed on Thanksgiving, is actually really neat. Um, because it's, you know, for old guys like us, it's like, okay, you know, I want to be home, but you know, my family is strong enough. They're going to be okay. It's for the young soldiers and the young lieutenants who have never been away from, from home for something like that. And so what's really neat is sort of how you know the more senior sergeants and the more senior officers kind of grip hands and take care of the young ones and and uh you know it's as simple as you know someone gets a good care package and, you know you you know you don't you don't take anything from it you bring it to you know you know whatever your team is and you share it with them um you do skits and you make fun of each other and you you know you talk about what you're thankful for and it's amazing I like being deployed. I mean, I don't like being away from my family, but I like the, you just focused on a couple of really important things when you're deployed. And all the stuff that really doesn't matter sort of fades by the wayside. So when you're deployed on Thanksgiving, you really appreciate what you have and, and you can't wait to get home to it to enjoy it again. So I, I you know, I, I've got, uh, I've got several friends that are deployed right now. You know, we'll talk about them at our Thanksgiving table on Thursday, but, uh, they'll be okay. I mean, they'll, they'll be home next Thanksgiving. And so that, you know, forever forward, they'll look back and go, I'm not going to be, I'm going to appreciate all the things that uh, that they have because at least for this deployment, they did without some things. So it's, it's a neat time. Um, but it's, I don't know
0: you know it, one, uh, one of the cool things about this uh podbean the app that you can use to listen to the to the website uh, to, to the podcast i get to see where people are listening from right so right. i see a lot of hits in the us a couple hits in europe and i see a couple hits in afghanistan and a couple right. hits in iraq and a couple hits in africa um africa actually um, sam Yinks is going to be on the right. po- podcast coming up here so uh, we're all over the place you know we're all over right. we're serving. we're 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 probably going to be you know serving serving turkey dinners in 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 the mess hall like uh being the you know serving our troops as as we have done in the past and so to all of our brothers and sisters that are that are that are out there serving you know thank you so much and um you know i'm so personally grateful to be part of this community this family this experience that we've all had together We're kind of getting towards the end of our of our time here together, uh, Scott. And I wanted to ask you if you you know what final thoughts you might have or perspectives that you may want to leave with us uh, with the class of '91.
1: Yeah. So it. So I I looked through our the mortar our little yearbook from uh, from Camp Buckner earlier today, Jamie. I hadn't looked at that thing in years. It's on my bookshelf, and I thought, what is that little skinny thing? So I'm looking at, at first platoon you know, this company, that was the tune I was in for Camp Buckner. Um, Johnny Tyner and Dave Rudin were in that platoon. Um, you know, Paul Haggerty was in I-2 in um, and obviously died a years later coaching the hockey team. Bill Love and I went to IOBC and Raider School together and and I didn't really know Bill Hecker very well as a cadet, but I've spent some time with his parents um, through Gold Star Family type events since then. You know, I'm uh Aside from my family, our classmates are, are really the the pride and joy of my life. And so, you know, when, when I was stationed at West Point, especially in the wintertime, I would take, I would walk through the cemetery and I would visit our classmates. And then we did something called the Inspiration to Serve Cemetery Tour. We'd bring the entire yearling class through the cemetery in the first week of May. And we, at the grave sites, we would have classmates and and widows and and non-commissioned officers there to to talk about how much that person, that hero that's buried there meant to them. And almost all the people buried that we honored were killed in Afghanistan or Iraq. We honored Bill Hecker um, two years ago. And so I, in closing, I would just say one, Jamie, I'm so appreciative of you putting this podcast together. It has helped for a guy that has been who has done a terrible job staying in touch with classmates and helped me reconnect. And just by listening to our, the stories of our classmates, I appreciate you taking this on. Um, I'm so excited for the 30th reunion here in a couple of years. I mean, that, I, I can't wait. And I feel as if you sort of jump started this. So, in terms of awareness of our class and talking about the importance of stewardship and and giving back to West Point, I appreciate your leadership role in that. But I would just, I would close by saying that, uh, the greatest gift at West Point is our classmates. And, uh, and I've always known that, but I've had the opportunity to be reminded of that, uh, this past week where I bumped in so many of our classmates in DC and then through the service, through just bumping our classmates over, over again. And so that is, that's the gift of West Point. You know, people want to talk about how, what a great academic institution it is and all the other things and they're, all true, but the true gift of West Point is our classmates. And, uh, and I hope for those that are struggling right now, because I know we got classmates that do. They know they can turn to classmates who will drop whatever they're doing to, to grip hands and help them get through this, whatever they're going through in life. Um, and so I appreciate. I'm very proud to be member of Class '91. I appreciate you bringing me on the podcast and let me tell my story a little bit, Jamie.
0: Well, thank you, Scott. And you know, when I think about you know selfless service and 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 the support of our of our nation, but, you know, also representing our class, you know, I think, I think of you, I think of a lot of the names that you mentioned on this podcast, Um, you know, the, the, um, the way you've continued to serve the way that you have, you know, led our army, shaped our army, shaped our cadets. Um, It's, uh, it's, it's really immeasurable impact. And um, what a, what a great example for us. So thank you so much. And thank you, everybody else, for listening tonight. Um, this is um, uh, we're going to have another uh, podcast in two weeks with uh, Sam Yinkst. We're going to do that on a Sunday morning, uh, not a Sunday night, because he's actually in Africa, leading um, the um, Center for Disease Control in in Zambia. So listen to him. And um, just re- just recalling the purpose of this podcast is is to reconnect his classmates. It's to Lift each other up. It's to, it's to uh, celebrate our successes. It's to commemorate uh, the work of our class. It's also to call attention to our class gift, which is we're endowing a chair at the Cyber Institute. Please, if you haven't given already, um, if you've given already, also uh, Giving Tuesday is coming up. Here, there's a link in the email that I sent. Um, let's let's you know everybody. Uh, Let's let's move together to increase our participation as a class. We want to get to 91% by the time of our 30th reunion. That's going to, be, that's going to make us the most generous class in the history of West Point. And I, I know that we can do that. And um, so, again, uh, Scott, thank you for joining us tonight. And thank you, everybody else, for being here. Uh, duty shall be done.
2: Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast.